chapter 3 today. This isn't in our Follow His Steps study. This isn't the passage of Scripture that I was planning on teaching on today. Um, But I came across it in my Bible reading this week and couldn't stop thinking about it and wanted to know more about it. Uh, So I started studying it out, and I'm so thankful that I did. Um, It's been an encouragement to me, uh, just a a reminder, um, a challenge. Uh, Just just a, a wonderful three verses of Scripture that we'll look at this morning. And it, it really helped me uh, just to consider my worship of God and, and the way that, that I, I think about God or think about singing or worshiping or so many different things. And then the song service this morning just, just fit right in with what I had studied this week. And just starting off with the song, All Glory Be to Christ. Um, Isn't it wonderful to be able to honestly say, all glory be to Christ, Um, all praise be to Christ, all honor be to Christ? That is so counter-culture to ascribe glory to anything but yourself. Uh, We're prideful people, and uh, we want to promote ourselves. You know, the world says, promote yourself, you're number one. But to say all glory be to Christ and honestly say that is a humbling thought. And it's recognizing him in his rightful place of God, of being greater, of being holy, of being so much different than us, of being so, so worthy of praise where we can humble ourselves and say glory to God, all praise to God and None of that was in my notes. Um, We'll we'll get to that thought in a little bit here, I think. But this text that we're going to look at today is packed full of information. I could spend the next month, probably six weeks, going through these three verses and trying to just unpack and give you the background information and giving you the different definitions and meanings of of words. Uh, I don't plan on doing that. Maybe we'll start and we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see where it goes. But what I want to do today is just pull out some of these big truths. I'd like for us to consider them. And I just, I just want to be willing. I want to ask all of you to be willing to let God work on your heart today. To be open for what He wants to show you, what His Word has for you, what His Spirit has for you. This might be a familiar text. I don't know. It might make you think. Hopefully it makes you think. It might make you upset, uh, this possibility. It might make you rejoice. Maybe all of the above. Maybe we'll hit a bunch of different emotions in these few verses. We'll have a few different thoughts. We'll, we'll have different things going on in our minds. But please be willing to let God work on your heart this morning. Let's look at the text together. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Let's pray together. 
Dear Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that we can boldly come to you. I thank you for giving your son, for making it possible for us to be right with you, to be able to have a relationship with you. We are so unworthy of you, yet you chose to love us and to forgive us and to declare us righteous through your son. And I thank you so much that you did. I pray that our response to you will be worship, will be glory, will be honor to you. Thank you for your workings in all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in Philippians, uh, we see Paul writing to the believers. We see Paul writing to pastors, to the deacons in Philippi. You can find that information out in the first chapter of Philippians, the first verse. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. So that's who this, this letter is written to. Um, we often see Paul in the book of Philippians speaking of joy. You can find Paul speaking of joy in every single chapter, multiple times in most chapters. Um, so you could say joy is a theme throughout Philippians. That's not a stretch to say that. In verse number 1 of chapter 3 here, he starts this section telling these believers to rejoice in the Lord. We just read that. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He tells the believers to rejoice. It's an imperative here. He says rejoice in the Lord. So it must be possible for them to rejoice. He says rejoice. He tells you to rejoice. It's a command to rejoice. So then it must be possible to rejoice. Does that make sense there? He says rejoice, so there has to be a possibility for us to rejoice. No matter the circumstances they would face in life, they were still to rejoice. This joy is possible through their relationship with Jesus Christ the Lord. It's possible. Well, we'll talk about that in our own lives, how it is possible even when life stinks or our circumstances are difficult. This joy, however, is more than possible it's real, it's alive, it's active in the life of believers. Say, so what are you talking about? How is this joy alive and real and active? Don't we have to work this joy up sometimes? Don't we sometimes have to, to fake like we're happy and, and muster up this joy? Don't you understand what's going on? Don't you understand what I face? How can Paul say, rejoice in the Lord? Well, this joy is active. It's, it's alive in the life of believers because it's a fruit of the Spirit. When we come to Christ, when we're received in Christ, when salvation comes, we are given the Holy Spirit, a seal of our salvation. And with the Holy Spirit, He brings fruit into our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. You can look those up in Galatians. And joy is some of that fruit from God, a gift from God to us. So this joy, this rejoicing, is not something that believers have to force or make up or fake. You know, sometimes you don't feel like being joyful, but somehow God still has the ability of 
bringing joy into your life. This, this joy, this gift of joy from God to us is how believers can rejoice even in weakness, even in pain, even in suffering, and even in death. Have you ever been there? It doesn't make any sense, humanly speaking. God, how can I have joy right now? How are you giving me this joy? How am I not falling apart and melting? How am I just not being crushed right now by my circumstances? Well, Because God has given us this supernatural joy. And that's how Paul can say rejoice because our rejoicing is in the Lord. It seems impossible, but we have joy. It doesn't make any sense, but there is joy. We can have that joy because of who our Lord is. He is perfect. He is righteous. He is holy. He is trustworthy. He is faithful. And He is true. Besides all of that, I mean, that should give us confidence to be able to have joy. But besides all of those reasons for having joy, He just gives us joy. Supernatural joy. A relationship with Christ allows us to confidently and joyfully rest in Him no matter what. Isn't this so different from a works-based gospel? Where we have joy in Christ, we're confident in Christ that He has forgiven us, that we have a relationship with the Father. We're confident in that and there is joy in that. When you're on the other side over here and you're trying to earn God's favor, you're trying to do things to be right with God, there's no joy because there's always question of, God, have I done enough to, to please you? Am I right enough in your eyes? I, I hope that I am. I want to have joy. But there's this, this restriction there. And I'm so thankful that we can have confidence in God and who He is and in His sacrifice to cover our sins so that we can every single day boldly have joy no matter if the world is falling apart around us. I'm so thankful for that joy from God, from our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, you'll see how this fits in here because it's like he, he changes gears almost. He says rejoice, but then he's going to now break into giving you or giving these, these believers here a warning. He moves from rejoicing to warning. Look at the second part of, of verse number one. To write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Okay, Paul, what's, what's going on here? Well, you just told me to rejoice. Now you're talking about you're not being grieved about writing the same things, about repeating stuff to us. What's going on here? Paul's telling these people, I've mentioned what I'm about to tell you before. I'm going to give you warning about this group of people who promote a false gospel, who are trusting in works, who are trying to add works to Christ. I'm going to give you warning about them. I've given you warning before. It's not grievous to me to give you this warning. It's no trouble for me. It doesn't bother me. What I'm telling you is so important, I have no problem telling you it more than once. So he says, I have no problem telling you this stuff multiple times. And the reason I'm telling you is because for you it is safe. 
I'm telling you this multiple times because it's a safeguard for you. What's he talking about? It's a warning for you. And I'm going to tell you over and over, I'm going to repeat this warning over and over because it's very important that you understand and that you grasp this warning. There is a real and present danger that I'm making you aware of. And I want to make sure that you get it. Now for me, the illustration of this was pretty simple because I have four small children and I constantly give them the same warnings over and over and over and over. It might become grievous sometimes. But I keep doing it because I care about them because there is a present danger. Stay out of the road. Mav, quit riding the sled into the road. Quit riding your bike in the road. There's people going fast. You're going to get hit by a car. You understand this if you've had children, if you have grandchildren, over and over and over. Don't slam the door. You're going to chop your fingers, your, your sister's fingers off. That was this morning. <laughs> we understand the idea of giving a warning over and over because we care about the people that we're warning. And here we have Paul here explaining, I'm giving you this warning again and again. And it's not wearing me out. It's not a burden to me. It's, it's important. He says to write the same things to you. This indicates that he has already made them aware of the problem that he is going to talk about again. What's the warning? Verse number two, beware of the dogs. Need some context for that. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. So he's giving this warning I believe he's already mentioned this word, this warning before, but I, we can find it in chapter 1, verses 27 and, and 28, I believe. It's the same idea, warning of false teachers, warning of false gospel, warning of these people promoting a gospel other than Christ. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. So in chapter 1, Paul warns these, these believers to not be terrified or alarmed by their adversaries. Don't be terrified by your adversaries. In chapter 3, Paul tells them how to recognize them. So he says, there's these adversaries. They're going to bring problem. They're going to bring false doctrine. They're going to bring these false beliefs. And they're going to try to confuse you and change you and challenge this salvation by grace through faith. And Paul is going to tell them in chapter 3, here's how you recognize them. He says, be aware. He says, watch out for. Verse 2, be aware or beware of dogs. That word beware is blepo in the Greek. It means to see or to watch out for. So he's saying, watch out for dogs. What's he talking about here, dogs? We know that there was dogs back then, ravenous dogs who would run around the streets. He's not talking about them, watch out for dogs. He's talking about evil workers or of the, the concision, false teachers, a works-based gospel. He's describing these false teachers by these different terms here, and he refers to them as dogs. 
They were a real threat, and they were leading people away from the truth. The word translated for dogs here is, is the, the word that would be used to speak of the wild dogs that would run around the streets, that would eat the garbage, that would uh, not be too friendly, that you didn't really want to spend much time with, you didn't want them in your house as, as pets. They were scavenging street dogs. Remember in Matthew 15 when we were talking about Jesus speaking with the woman and, and even, even the dogs get, get the crumbs from the table? And we talked about uh, like a, a smaller term of endearment by Paul to these people. Jesus, by building up their outside and, and doing good deeds and, and trying to make themselves as dogs. Here, Paul, a Jew, is calling. But I want you to see through this. This no gospel at all. Gospel means good news. And to have to try to earn your way to God is not a... They're promoting a gospel with no hope, a gospel that was dangerous and led people away. They were relying on what they did and who they were to be right before God. And they were telling God, okay, you know, that sounds great. What can I do? How can I... But today, and we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes here, to human pride but it's very wrong in being right before God. They're, they're trying to keep the law. They're, they're trying to do good things. You know, they're good. They're, they're moral, ceremonial religion. They saw themselves as good and as pleasing your name. And Jesus' response was, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. They were doing these, these good deeds, but making them Evil deeds, making these people evil workers. We see multitudes of people during his earthly ministry. And how does Jesus respond to these people who said, we are so good, we do all these wonderful things. Thank you that I'm not like these sinners. Thank you that I'm such a wonderful, righteous person. We see Jesus interacting with them. And how does he respond? You hypocrites. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Pretty, pretty harsh. But that's the reality of thinking that doing enough good can make us right before God. All we're doing is putting on garments that we think that are pretty, but what we're doing is we're covering up a wicked, sinful heart. We've talked about that. The heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. So to put righteousness on top of it is trying to load pride on top of stuff that's not right. Piling sin up on top of sin. And they're referred to as evil workers. They think that they are good. In reality, they are evil workers leading people down the same destructive path that they were on. They may have been doing good things or things that would be recognized as good things. But they would have been doing them out of pride and not for God's glory. Which is our main purpose is to bring God glory. And when we're promoting ourselves by saying, look how good I am, that is glorifying ourselves and that is wrong and that is evil works and it's not promoting God. I mean, think about it. God, I don't, I don't need your help. I can be good enough on my own to be right before you. How prideful is that? And Paul calls these people evil workers. 
And then the next, the next phrase that he calls them or the title that he gives them needs a little bit of background. Um, he calls them the concision. This concision, the, the word means mutilation or, or false circumcision. He is here again speaking of the Judaizers, the, the Jewish legalists that taught that circumcision and keeping the Mosaic law were necessary for salvation. It denied the gospel of grace. It said, sure, Christ, but let's add these to the, let's add circumcision to this and keeping the law of Moses. Well, you can't keep the law perfectly. The law is a schoolmaster to show you that you can't keep the law perfectly. And even more than being able to, to keep the laws is keeping the, the heart issue of the laws. You know, you can say, I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus speaks of the heart. If you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery already in your heart. So it's more than just these, these ten rules. There's a heart issue behind it. And it exposes our sinfulness before God. So to try to earn salvation by perfectly keeping those, you're in big trouble and I'm in big trouble because we can't do that. But this, this concision, these, these people really promoted circumcision as the identifying mark of, of being right before God. And we looked in depth at these Judaizers in our study of Galatians. We spent a good year at least on that. And what would happen is Paul would go in to these places, to these regions, and he'd, he'd preach the gospel to these Gentiles, to these different people, and they would come to Christ. They would, they would believe. Then the Judaizers would come in behind them, and they would say, that's great, you found Jesus, but you also need to do this. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow these rules. You need to keep these traditions. And they would try to add works on top of this gospel of grace that these people had just received and just trusted in Christ for salvation. Their thinking was, if you were not circumcised, if you don't keep the law, no matter what Christ has done, you can't be saved. So the big message was, Christ isn't enough. You also need these things. And they were confusing people. Could you imagine the confusion? I mean, it went back, and we see in the book of Acts, there was this council where they said, it's Christ alone for salvation. Circumcision was a distinguishing mark of God's covenant with Abraham. Jews would refer to other Jews as part of the circumcision. Circumcision reflected or was designed to reflect an inward reality. You can look at Jeremiah for this, Jeremiah 4, Jeremiah 9. A reality that our hearts are wicked before God. A reality that scripture is very careful and clear to present that our hearts are wicked before God. And the need is we need God to cleanse our heart through the Spirit. Not us cleansing our own heart so we can be right before God, but God cleansing our heart. Cutting away the sin of our heart. Over time, circumcision became a badge of honor and prideful self-righteousness. The Judaizers viewed themselves as set apart to God because of their circumcision, and their circumcision was actually as worthless as those pagans who mutilated themselves to gain favor with their gods. That's how serious this thing got, where they were claiming this as a badge of honor, but it became worthless because they were trusting in that circumcision for salvation. Do you see the picture there? They're trusting in something else besides Christ for salvation. 
And that is a problem. And you can look at Romans chapter 2, and all of that is explained about the, the circumcision and the, the mutilate, the mutilate, I can't talk today, that word. And, and that it, it, was, it was as worthless as the pagans. And then you get into Galatians, and Paul talks about, you guys think you're, you're so great, and this circumcision means so much to you that you're counting on it for salvation. I would that you would castrate yourselves if it's that important to you. Do you see the, the picture here of these people trusting in something that God set up originally as an illustration, as, as part of this process? Every Jewish boy was to be circumcised the eighth day. But it was set up to show the true need of the circumcision of the heart. Paul says those who trust in works and superficial deeds and traditions rituals and ceremonies for salvation and teach others to follow them our dogs our evil workers they're part of this this concision this false gospel and they are not true believers and you say wow that was a lot of of information and and history and and stuff that happened a long time ago what in the world how can we see any application to that Today, in America, I mean, people aren't running around fighting about being circumcised or not circumcised. We're not calling people part of the, the circumcision. That's not terms that we necessarily use today. It, it's not a, a big focus that we have in America today. But what we can see, what we can find relevance here is that there are works-based gospels everywhere. And a works-based gospel is no gospel at all but it is all over Jesus Christ is the only true gospel and it is him alone and you can find people who will will, will talk about Christ and and they'll recognize that sure he died on a cross to pay for sins and and you can find people who will admit these, these things, but their focus, their, their glory isn't in Christ alone. Their faith isn't in Christ alone. You find these people who will mention the name of Christ, but they're trusting in their good works and how much they go to church and certain prayers that they said or praying every day or, or doing these different things and their, their hope to be right before God might have Christ as a piece of it, but it's not all of it. And the scripture is clear that Christ is the only way, and we cannot add things to Christ to try to be right before God. It is so important that we look to Christ alone for salvation. He shed his perfect blood. He paid the price. He rose again from the dead, victorious over sin, over death, and over hell. And he offers life and forgiveness. We don't have to earn it, and we can't earn it. That gospel you can find, or the gospel of works you can find so many places. But how is it good news that you have to earn something that you can never earn? I don't understand. But it plays to pride, where we can build ourselves up. Paul calls these people promoting this, 
evil workers and, and, and dogs here. So he gives this, this warning, this serious warning. And I want us to be clear that for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul gives this warning, watch out for this, and then he goes in to this contrast. Verse 3, for we are the circumcision, or true believers, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. True believers have a heart that overflows with worship of God. It's not this, look at me, look how great I am. I did this and this and this this week. It's, it's not looking for our own glory. It's look at my God. Not worship me, worship my God. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit. The Spirit of God generates this worship of God. Brings about adoration and praise to God. So we have God working in us to bring praise to Him. We were created for His pleasure. When salvation comes, our response is praise and worship of God. The Holy Spirit prompts true worship within us out of a heart of love for God. Believers love God, and He is the source of their joy and delight. When we begin to understand who God is and what He has done, our response is to worship Him. God, I need you. God, I can't be right with you without Jesus Christ. You offer salvation. You offer life. Apart from you, I have no hope. I am worthy of your wrath. I am worthy of judgment for my sins. But because of you, I have hope. And my response, starting to understand who you are and your greatness, is to worship you and to glorify you. Not something we have to muster up or pretend to do on, on Sunday mornings when we're singing with a bunch of people. It's a worship in our lives and in our heart and out of our mouth every single day of our lives because of the appreciation and because we're beginning to understand how great and how worthy of praise our God truly is. We can worship God because he gives us a confident trust that produces peace, a peace not based on circumstances, but a relationship. True believers worship God. And worship is a privilege. Think about the other side of that. Yes, we're created for God's glory, for his pleasure to worship him. On the other side of that, we have the privilege of worshiping a God that we know. The all-powerful God, we have the privilege to worship him. And that sounds a whole lot better than worshiping ourselves out of pride we're going to falter and we're going to stumble. We have the privilege of worshiping the true God. So verse 3, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit 
and rejoice in Christ Jesus. So true believers rejoice in Christ Jesus. To glory, that word rejoice means to glory on account of a thing. Or boasting with exultant joy about what a person is most proud of. In this context, it's speaking of a believer, of a believer's joyful exalting of Christ. It's giving full credit for who we are in Christ. Or we are what we are because of Christ. That's, that's what this is. If we are to boast, our boasting should be about Christ. You can find that theme in the New Testament. The false teachers say, look at me, look what I have done. The true believers look at Christ, look, all that I am is because of Christ. Any hope that I have is because of Christ. And also it says, have no confidence in the flesh. We can never earn God's favor by doing enough good, because any, and our only hope to be right is found in Christ. We can short apart from Christ. He has made the Put your confidence in Him. Turn to Him. Trust in Him. Rejoice in Him. Worship Him. This worship and this, this praise and this glory it flows out of, out of a heart that has been redeemed by God. It's from God to God. And He allows us, gives us the privilege to worship Him. And along with all that, he gives us this joy that we can't explain, no matter how dark the day. And as I, as I was studying this, it just jumped out to me how thankful I am for the God who paid it all, for the God who made it possible for me to be right before him. And I'm so thankful that he works in me and that I can honestly and truly say, all glory be to Christ. It gives you a, like the, the term Lord, it means a master or, or one who has authority. I am thankful to be placed under the authority of the Lord. It's, it's not a burden, it's not a weight. You know, people say, I don't want to be a Christian, you know, God's your boss. Well, at the end of the day, you're going to find God's, God's in charge of everything. But it's not a burden to be under the authority of the Lord. It's a privilege. And I, I want people to consider, are you trusting in Christ alone for salvation? I just, I just wonder, are, are, is, is Christ who you are relying on for salvation. Or in your mind, is, is there a thought, well, I've, I've, you know, I've went to church off and on throughout my whole life. I'm, I hope I'm good. You know, I hope I've done enough good. We don't have to say that. We can trust in Christ for salvation and Him alone. We need to trust in Him alone for true salvation. Because to add anything else to Christ is not a true gospel. Don't count in prayers that you've said, or things you've been taught, or beliefs that you might have, or things you have done, 
or, or good works that, that you can claim. Don't trust in that stuff. Trust in Jesus Christ. Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Is he your Redeemer? Because he is the only way. He's the only truth. And he is the only place to find true life. Have you trusted in him and him alone? And all glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this reminder. I thank you that, that we can have confidence in you. If I had to hope in myself and, and hope I did enough good, I'm in big, big trouble. Because I know I fail and I, I struggle every single day. But I'm so thankful that you have given your son to cover us in his righteousness. I pray that we will fully and only trust in Christ and his finished work for salvation. I pray that you'll work in our hearts today. I pray that we will bring honor and glory to you. Our focus will be on you and that we will praise you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.